Good afternoon. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. We've got a good topic today to discuss, thanks to one of our viewers. And um, so we'll be introducing that topic in just a moment. But first, let me welcome my companions here, Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Hello, Joe. Hello, Mr. Smelser. How are you today? Very good. And then, of course, Chase Byers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. No jokes about that. I've got that down now, Chase. Hello, Professor Smelster. Good to see you again. All right. So we got a question today, um, and I left it in the printer. Let me. I'll, I'm going to go get the question, and that'll be our topic. I'll be right back. I'm just going to walk over there. So then we'll. One of the things that we previously discussed was the significance of starting this podcast with professionalism and uh, uh, directness. And so Jeff really just wanted to show sort of the contrast to that. Thank you. Yes. So a uh, question from a viewer. He said, uh, I watch you guys, listen to you guys on Bible Quest. I have a quick question about being ordained. Is it anyone can preach the gospel or do you have to go through a process to be able to speak the gospel to a congregation of people? I remember you all had talked about it on Bible Quest, but I can't find the episode. Do you think you can refer me to it? Thanks. I don't remember us talking about that. It's possible we did. It's possible that the Tuesday guys did it on the Tuesday Bible Quest. But in any event, we're going to talk about it today. Does that sound okay? I mean, between the two podcasts, there's, I'm pretty sure, close to a thousand episodes out. And so really? I think that there's a, yeah, I mean, we've been doing this for three years now and, uh, you know, two of them each week. So. Wow. Wait, sorry, that math is way off. <laughs> but you guys were doing it for a couple of years before I got on as well. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure we've been doing it for more than three years. Yeah. So let's start off with this. <clears throat> when we talk about ordination, of course, we're talking about the idea that uh, in churches, there's this guy or these guys, and they are ordained ministers or something like that. Who ordains them and what kind of authority that gives them, that sort of thing. I want to make three observations before we discuss this. And it's going to kind of be a um, an open-ended conversation, a little bit um, freewheeling perhaps. And part of the problem is because I think that what we see in the religious world is a lot more um, defined as, in, than what we see in the Bible, but or maybe just misdefined. But these are my three observations to begin with. First of all, if there's a sense in which we can talk about ordination in, in a biblical sense, it's not the kind of professional qualification or um, certificate kind of thing that you might think of say for example I uh, if you're in the if you're in the insurance industry and you want to be an actuary you're going to take a series of tests and then either the society of actuaries or the casualty I forgot what the, what's the casualty society of actuaries right now that doesn't sound right one of those two professional, accrediting firms or not firms, but entities, organizations will then pronounce you a fellow of, in the one case, the Society of Actuaries. Yes, Chase. Yeah. I was just gonna jump in. I mean, you see it with that, you see it with lawyers and you see it with accountants because there's a standard. That's what you're getting back to. People right. are recognizing this is an important standard and we need to have some way of saying whether or not this person knows it or not. And there's an organization that is responsible for doing that. And there's certain criteria you have to meet. And so would you agree that like when people ask if a person that's claiming to be a minister, pastor, reverend, whatever you want to say of a particular church or denomination, 
when people ask, are they ordained? It kind of makes sense. You understand why they're asking that because they're recognizing that a, there is a standard that is important. It's the word of God. And if you're claiming to be someone that presents that standard, then it would make sense that you should go through an ordination. It makes sense until you realize that if the standard is the word of God, why do we have some human organization um, in charge of saying you qualify? Yeah. Uh, so we'll come back to that. So, so that brings me to my second, second observation, and that is the concept of seminary ordina ordination, the concept of going to some school and this school uh, having you pass a series of classes and then say, okay, now you are ordained. That is, that is not what we see in the Bible. And we can develop that thought uh, a little bit. And the third thing that I want to talk about is simply that um, when we look at the Bible, we do, talk, we do see the idea of a calling, but I think that people misunderstand the idea of calling in the Bible. There's a lot of things that we're going to talk about in connection with all of this. So basically, we're asking who can preach the gospel. Oh, I guess there's a fourth thing that I want to say. The fourth thing that I want to say is simply this, that there are two extremes here. One extreme is for humans to set up some criteria and have an organization that says who can and cannot preach. And the other extreme is to just disregard uh, any concept of there being a special role at all. You know, Timothy is told by the Apostle Paul, uh, if you, let's see, I'm going to turn over to it. It's in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, and Paul says in verse 5, be sober in all things, suffer hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, or we could just say fulfill your service. There is the concept of the work of an evangelist. So when somebody says, well, everybody's a preacher, well, maybe in some sense that's true, but there are people who have taken on a responsibility and, or we could even say who have been given a responsibility, and we'll talk about who gives it to them in a little bit. So, so two extremes. One extreme is just to say, well, there is really no special role of being an evangelist. I believe there is. And the other extreme is to say, we can have a human organization uh, set up certain criteria and decide who can be that. And, but I think both those are wrong. Okay, just in regard to my opening observations, what do you guys think about those things? Well, I think we certainly wouldn't disagree, and you've made this clear, but everyone ought to be a teacher. And I think there's a really cool tension of that idea in the New Testament in two books that are right next to each other, the book of Hebrews and the book of James. Because um, you might remember in Hebrews chapter 5, he actually gets after the disciples that he's writing to for saying, by this time, many of you should have become teachers by now. Right. You right. should have been capable right. of teaching some of these meteor things and understanding these meteor things for yourselves. So he's rebuking them for their lack of, and really their dole of hearing, and their inability to be a teacher because they've been lazy themselves and needing to learn the, the scriptures. Yep. The, con the, the absolute contrast to that is actually in the book of James in chapter three, where he says, let not many of you become teachers in verse one. And then you go, well, back in Hebrews, he said, you should have been teachers by now. Yep. And now he's saying, let not many of you become teachers. Yep. And I think that is wherein lies kind of the difference between these yep. two kind of teachings that yep. we're talking about. And, and for what it's worth, if you look at James and you compare a lot of what is said in James' letter to what we see, say, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew, you see a lot of the same mentality that Jesus is addressing is the mentality James is addressing. Uh, you see a, a lot of emphasis on status, on special seats, and, and 
what you wear and appearance and those kinds of things. And that was typical amongst the Pharisees. And there was this idea in Matthew chapter 23 of wanting to be called men rabbi, teacher, that kind of thing. So you can see James uh, challenging the idea of, I want to be the teacher. And that's that that kind of thing is encouraged when we give this idea of professionalism. We cloak the work of an evangelist with an, a, a professional aura. Uh, it's not helpful. Joe, did you want to jump in there with something? Uh, we've got a comment well, from a viewer. Yeah, yeah there's, I, I was just going to mention that somebody had written in and, and referenced Acts chapter 8, verses 1 and 4 where because of the persecution that arose over the killing of Stephen, the Christians were scattered. And in verse four, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, so I think that would be one of the passages that ought to be considered in uh, the previous uh, acknowledgements that in some sense, we all have a responsibility to proclaim the good news. And, and that seems to be the the, the point here, uh, you know, the idea of preaching just means to, to proclaim the good news. And so um, uh, that's what those people were doing, uh, whether that means that literally every single person that went out did that. It seems as if in the text to me that he begins then to hone in on people like Philip uh, in the next uh, uh, chapter. And then over in chapter 11, we pick back up with that conversation about some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene in Acts 11 and in verse 20. So I don't know if it was everybody that was scattered, went and preached, but at least some of them did. And they may not have been what we would think of as, you know, sort of professional evangelists or full-time evangelists or something like that, but rather people that had the good news and wanted to share it. And, and so, but let's just say, for sake of argument, let's just say, suppose that means every single person who was scattered went about preaching the word. I don't have a problem with that. Even so, Philip can be referred to in Acts chapter 20, and Philip, the very Philip in that context that you're mentioning, that Philip can be referred to in Acts chapter 21, verse 8, as the evangelist, mm -hmm. as if not everybody's an evangelist. And that's the only place other than, um, or sorry, that is the only place where a name is associated with evangelist. You pointed out 2 Timothy chapter 4, but um, Philip is really the only one where it's like Philip, the evangelist, where you kind of see that title given to him. Whereas in the Timothy passage, it's saying do the work of an evangelist. And, and I'm not even sure I would say it's so much title as a description of the work he's doing. But, sure. but I, I would say that what it tells us is that not everybody was an evangelist in the sense that Philip was. Otherwise, it would make no sense to say Philip, the evangelist. Ephesians chapter 4, you yeah, have... Exactly. You were going to go ahead. Go to Ephesians no, Yeah. And so, by the way, those are the three places where this word evangelist is used. It's 2 Timothy 4... Um, Acts 21, verse 8, and then in Ephesians, uh, the fourth chapter. Um, I'll get my Bible over there. Ephesians 4, uh, starting in verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors, uh, pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a, it's a gift that Jesus gives the, the church. In, in a, you know, you mentioned Chase a little bit ago in Hebrews chapter 5, by reason of time, you ought to be teachers. In some sense, we all ought to be teachers. And yet in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, it talks about the church at Antioch and says there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets 
and teachers. Mm -hmm. Not everybody was a prophet or a teacher in that congregation. There were some people who were prophets and teachers. So we do have this sense in which everyone should be have the capacity to teach in some sense. We can teach our children, we can teach our neighbors, we can teach by our example, we can teach by word. But there is another sense in which somebody takes on a role as a teacher. And similarly, the same can be said uh, of an evangelist, the same can be said of ministers, which are servants, the same can be said of elders. There's a lot of old men, but there are certain men who are elders and charged with the responsibility as elders to oversee the flock. So, so now, you know, we need to ask the question, okay, what is it that makes that difference? Is it a is it a professional qualification? Is it a seminary ordination? Is there a sense in which somebody who is an evangelist is ordained? Uh, so let, let's talk about some of that just a little bit. Well, so oh. what, what would be your all's um, definition of the word ordained then? That might be helpful because it probably means different things to different people. You know, I love that question. You know, I, I get into this question in Romans 13, where uh, some translations talk about the powers that be are ordained of God, and they attach uh, a lot of mystical something to that word. It just means set, arranged. Um, and so there's a sense in which we do see people in the New Testament being set to a work being arranged, an arrangement made. I, I would suggest that in Acts chapter 13, when Paul and Barnabas uh, are chosen by the Holy Spirit, then the church there at Antioch fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them and sent them away. In laying their hands on them, they were signifying, you have been committed to this work and we're commending you to this work. That's an ordination in a sense, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, so Merriam-Webster just has it as uh, simply the, the official act uh, for ordination, the, the official act or process of making someone a priest or minister, etc. Um, and so what is that process of making them? And, and so then if somebody has been ordained, that means that they are a priest or a minister or whatever the case. So that's usually what I think when, when I get that question, and perhaps you all as well, I think that's sort of the, the, the background is people saying, where did you get the, uh, where, where do you, what credentials do you have? So, um, so let's take the case of Timothy, who was an evangelist. We start out talking about him. When is he first, when do we first see him entering into this work that he's going to begin? That's a, that's an, that's a perfect example. That's exactly where I was going to go to, Jeff. Because when you look at First Timothy, like we, we want to look at Timothy the way we know him mostly. Paul puts him in Ephesus and says, stay here and preach and teach. Did Paul have some type of like interview process that he did before he picked someone to put there? No. When you reverse engineer it and go all the way back to Acts 16, like Jeff is alluding to here, what happens is Paul identifies a young man at the church in Lystra and Derby, and sees that this young man is fervent about teaching and fervent in his faith, and he decides to take this young man along as he goes about preaching and teaching. There was no ordination process, but it was Paul as an evangelist and, and apostle recognizing the potential in this young man and bringing him along as an apprentice. Um, and that's what goes on to happen for the next several chapters. Well, well, he circumcised him. So I think that would be a requirement. 
Uh, well, do you, want me to, do you want me to counter with Titus in Galatians 2? Is that, is that what you're trying to set me up to do? No, my, my point is that we can get hung up on um, process and procedure and formalities, and we can make things out of something we should make things out of. There's a very practical reason that Timothy was circumcised. Of course, you're going to make the point that we, we don't have to be circumcised, and Titus wasn't circumcised. Titus was Gentile. Timothy was the son of a Jewess, and so working amongst Jews is important that he be circumcised. But it'd be silly for us to then say, okay, part of the ordination process is going through a ceremony of circumcision. First of all, I don't really think it, it was a ceremony. And secondly, that would be making something out of something we're not supposed to make anything out of. That's kind of my point. So, so, so you have Timothy chosen by Paul to, to be a help, to be an assistant probably not a whole lot unlike John Mark earlier earlier on when you think about it. So, yeah. and, and, and then what do we see? We turn over to first, uh, let's turn over to First Timothy chapter four. And there is this, this, this phrase here, First Timothy chapter four and verse 14. Uh, Neglect not the gift that is in thee or in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. It's kind of interesting that in second Timothy, chapter 1, uh, Paul talks about the gift that Timothy has by the laying on of Paul's mm -hmm. hands. Well, Paul's an apostle. In Acts chapter 8, we see Peter and John laying hands on the Samaritans that had become Christians, and Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands. In Acts 19, Paul comes to Ephesus, and he's going to lay hands on people and give them gifts, and then he finds out they haven't even been baptized into Christ. So first of all, he baptizes them into Christ, and then Paul lays hands on them, and, and they prophesy. He's given them these gifts. Uh, we see Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 wanting to go to Rome and give them some gift. And so we, we, we discern that there was this um, practice in place of when in the New Testament church, when people became Christians, apostles would come to town and lay hands on them and give them these gifts that they needed where that whereby they could prophesy speak in tongues that sort of thing that seems to be what's in view in second timothy chapter one and verse six when paul says don't neglect the gift or put it put it put in remembrance stir up the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands but in first timothy chapter four verse 14 it's not through the laying on of the hands of the presbytery it's with accompanied by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, which sounds a lot more like what we saw in Acts 13, where the presbytery, the elders there, laid hands on Timothy, much as they did in Acts 13 with Barnabas and Saul, and thus commended them to, to the work. I suppose if you wanted to, you could say that's an ordination. That's a group of elders saying, look, we want you to do this work. We're encouraging you in this work. It's not the same thing as setting up some human organization, some school, some seminary, and say, you all develop the criteria, and then, and then a, a larger organization, a denomination says, everybody in our denomination has, who wants to preach has to go through that seminary. That's not found in the Bible. Am I making that difference clear? I, I think so. Um, try not to uh, belabor this illustration, but uh, several years ago when uh, we were planning to move to Brazil, uh, some of the paperwork that the Brazilian government required was an ordination certificate. Um, of course, I'd not been to any seminary or anything like that. 
Um, uh, and so I went and talked to the elders of the congregation I was working with who were supporting and uh, encouraging our move to Brazil. And so they said, well, we're willing to write a letter that says that we are appointing you for this work, that, that we are supporting you in this work, very similar to what we find right there. And, and that was sort of the basis for our decision to do that. Um, and that was satisfactory to uh, the, the Brazilian government, thankfully. But, um, you know, that we find biblical precedent for. Sure. The idea of a person being qualified because they went to a certain school or something like that, or that a person is not is not worthy to be listened to because they didn't go to a seminary or something like that. Um, yeah. That's that, that's very unbiblical. I, I like the fact that we've kind of uh, danced all, all through the the book of first books of first and second Timothy, and we can touch on Titus as well. Interesting, those are often called pastoral epistles. Uh, I don't want to get too far off the topic, but, but maybe that's some of the confusion is that, you know, evangelists and pastors are one and the same. And so Timothy and Titus were pastors. Um, uh, and so these letters are written in, in that sense. Um, but you notice that with both of those, it's simply that Paul told them, go to Ephesus, go to Crete. And mm -hmm. here, do this specific work while you're there. So it seems as if it's men who are sent to a specific place or to a location, an area, and they're doing the work of teaching and preaching. That seems to be the evidence of First and Second Timothy and Titus. Yeah. And Jeff, you go ahead, Chase. I just want to ask a question. We'll get a question out there because I think it's important to ask. What's going on in seminaries that is leading people to believe that you need to have gone to a seminary to be a Bible teacher? What kind of things do you think are going on in those colleges that make people think they're a better Bible student if they went to a seminary? <laughs> I don't. I I'll tell you this. Bob Hutto is a, a brother in Christ whom I, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. But he he had an opportunity to go back to school. He he was just going to go back and advance his his study of Greek, I think, and. He ended up, there was an opportunity where he could very economically just take the whole program and, and get a degree and thought, well, that, you know, might do that and just take advantage of the whole thing. But then in going that route, he ended up having to take a lot of the coursework that, that you would go through if you were going to be ordained by this, this school. And uh, so much of it was administrative, was uh, basically how to run a church like a business, you know, that kind of thing. Marketing. Basically it's creating a professional kind of a thing, which is not what Timothy was, right. which is not what Paul was. These were men who had been crucified with Christ, and they are wanting to tell the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the, that's the point that I want to make. I think a lot of people have the understanding that these seminaries are teaching you the foundational ideas of teaching and preaching, and those things are in there. Uh, yes, you're going to learn Greek. Maybe you're going to learn Hebrew. Yes, you're going to have Bible classes. But you're overwhelmingly just going to learn a lot of church history, and you're just going to learn a lot about a lot oral church, speaking. A lot of uh, churchiosity. <laughs> yeah. And so, and yeah, but he, here's, here's what I'm trying to get at, and Jeff, Jeff hit on it. In Acts 4.13, when, when Peter and John stood before that council, and they, they observed the confidence of Peter and John, and they understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, 
they were amazed and they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. That, and that right there, I think that should get to the root of what a Bible teacher should be known for. Yeah. Yeah. Do they know Jesus Christ? Do they know, know what the book says about them? Um, and that, that, I think, should be the bottom line. So in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul says, If so be that you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached in all Christ, cre creation under heaven, whereof I, Paul, was made a minister of the gospel. Paul says he was made a minister of the gospel. So where, Colossians, where was that, Jeff? Colossians 1, verse 23. Paul said he was made a minister of the gospel. Now, we can, we can think about Paul's conversion story. And obviously, that's not part. We, we don't have to see Jesus while we're on the road to Damascus. To be, We could think about um, how Paul went away to Arabia afterwards. We could think about how he went to Jerusalem. And when he went to Jerusalem, uh, the disciples there, this is in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, were reluctant to receive him because they didn't even believe he was a brother in Christ. They suspected he was still interested in persecuting them. That's what he had been doing, persecuting the church. Um, so Barnabas came down, and he showed them Paul's degree from the seminary at Antioch, uh, and showed them the coursework. and said, see, he's been ordained by our denominational seminary. And so then they accepted him. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Say that a little more firmly, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. What did Barnabas do? It's, I'm going to turn over there to Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, and it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas basically comes and says, He's seen the Lord. Uh, that's not something Paul says that happened last to him. We're not all going to see the resurrected Lord as we walk on this earth. But then he, he went and started preaching. So basically, Barnabas says, here's a man who's doing the work. He's willing to do the work. And then they accepted him in the church there at Jerusalem. Uh, he didn't have credentials from some seminary. So, okay, Paul says, I was made a minister of the, and basically, notice this, I was made a minister of the gospel, not, not I was made a minister of of a congregation, not I was made a minister of the church at Jerusalem, not I was made a minister of some denomination. I was made a minister of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Now, my Bible says minister. How else could that be translated? Servant. 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 Is there, do we hear in our culture, do we hear a difference if Paul had said, I was made a servant of the gospel, as opposed to Paul saying, I was made a minister of the gospel? Uh, a minister is somebody who's in charge of something. A servant is somebody who's who's doing work. That's right. We in have a modern day. I mean, yeah. We have attached a, a whole boatload of professionalism ideas to this term minister, when really all it is is the term servant. So I'm not taking away from the idea that there's a special role that somebody may take on that not everybody has. But that role is not, look at me, I've got a special degree, I am a minister. That role is, I'm a servant. I've got a service to perform, and my service is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So would you, would you put that together with 1 Timothy 1.12? 
And uh, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's the Lord is the one who puts them into the ministry. I think both those passages kind of bear that out. Um, that the, and, and when we think about gifts or talents that God gives to, to man, uh, opportunities as well, uh, we ought to see that as something coming from, from God, uh, not from, uh, from man or from a man-made institution. Okay, so then, so then that takes us back to the conversation Jesus had with Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul, who later is known as Paul. And the account of it in Acts chapter 26 and verse 16 goes like this. Jesus said, but arise and stand upon your feet, for to this end have I appeared unto you to appoint you a minister or servant and a witness, both of the things wherein you have seen me and of the things wherein I will appear unto you. Uh, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I send you. So now, so now people say, okay, so Paul was chosen by the Lord, whether we say servant or minister, he was chosen by the Lord to be a servant. And that's right. When Jesus appeared to him, is that uni a universal experience or is that a unique experience? Very unique. Yeah, yeah. Paul over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will say, uh, after talking about the various ones Jesus appeared to, he says, and last of all uh, to me, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 8, last of all, as to a child untimely born, he appeared to me. So Paul does mention 500 brethren to whom Jesus appeared at once, talks about him appearing to the apostles. Jesus didn't appear to everybody. So we should not take Paul's experience on the road to Damascus and then say, you've got to have some experience like that in order to be, to be a minister. So number one, it's not some man-made seminary. Number two, it's not Paul's experience on the road to Damascus that, that enables somebody to preach the gospel today. So what is it that enables somebody to preach the gospel today? It just maybe I can put that in another way too, that last part about Paul's road to Damascus experience. We get asked, we get asked that like this, when and where did you get your calling? Have you, have you, yeah. Have you two been asked that before? I get oh, asked yeah. that all oh, the yeah, time. Numerous times. Right? Yeah. 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 Where, when, or where did you get your calling? And that is again, and I think Jeff is emphasizing that's coming back from a biblical idea, but is it the way that God does it today is the, is the question. Well, tell me if, you, if I'm wrong here, when the Bible talks about a calling, it's talking about our being called to be saints. And the, yeah, uh, the gospel will call. Yeah. The first Corinthians chapter seven, verse 20, let each man abide in that calling wherein he was called. He's not saying you were called to be a bond servant, or you were called to be married, or you were called to be single. He's talking about you were called to be a saint. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse uh, 2, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, even them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And um, so I was thinking there was another one right there, but he starts out talking to the church of Corinth. This is your call. You were called to be saints. And so now in chapter seven, as he talks about uh, whether you're married or whether you're single and some people thinking, well, I'm married, I should be single or people who are slaves thinking I should be free or people who are circumcised saying I should be uncircumcised. He says, look, in whatever calling you were called uh, or not, he doesn't say, hey, let me read that. 
uh, right. He says, let each man abide in that calling wherein he was called, not whatever. The calling you were called in is to serve Jesus Christ. And whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're free or bond, your calling is to serve Jesus Christ. So my point is, I don't see the New Testament talk using this language of calling in a specific sense. And tell me if I'm wrong, but like I'm going to get some special message from God. Jeff, you are to be a minister of the gospel as opposed to a tent maker. Well, in the book of Acts, I, I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, do, ironically, do, do, but do. in the book of Acts, Paul does get told where to go and where not to go. By whom? By the Spirit. And 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 he's told where to go after he's already been told by Jesus that he's been appointed to be a minister, right? Yeah. Uh, after yeah, after he's been preaching and teaching, yes. Yeah. So all right. So so the Holy Spirit then thereafter communicates to Paul and tells him things like, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound and so on. Tells him those kind. Tells him not to go into Mysia or not to go into Asia at a certain point. Mm -hmm. Um. So what's Paul be doing? He's being directed by the Spirit. How are we directed by the Spirit when, when we read what the Spirit's written, yeah. right? And uh, Yeah, and uh, I, I even think about whenever we're going to places that don't have disciples, that, that haven't been preached to, to our knowledge, we're still being guided by the Spirit to do so through the Word uh, by yeah, looking at right, the example exactly. of... Paul and the others going to places where the gospel hadn't been spread. So I would say, to, I, this may be too simple, but but I would say this, you guys challenge me, tell me if you think I'm missing something, but is it not fair to say, basically, if somebody wants to preach the gospel and a congregation says, we would like for you to stand here in front of us um, from week to week and preach God's word to us. And we would like for you to preach the gospel in this community. And we're going to assist you in that however we can. If they can help him financially, they can help him financially. If they can help him otherwise by simply praying for him and in being an encouragement to him, they can do that. But, but in doing that, could that be thought of as an ordination, if somebody wants to use that word, in other words, kind of like they, you know, we're, we're, we're laying our hands on you. We are commending you to this work. We're going to help you in it. We're going to encourage you in it. And we're, we know this is the work you want to be doing. Nothing more formal, ceremonial, or professional than that is, am I off base here or what? So I, I would certainly agree with all of that. I wonder uh, happy to get your all's take, and certainly those that are uh, watching, uh, we encourage your comments uh, in agreement or disagreement. If 1 Corinthians chapter 16 would also maybe shed some light on um, the arrangement that you just now described, um, you know, when Paul is in Ephesus, according to verse 8, 1 Corinthians 16 8, and he says in verse 10, now if Timothy comes, so it seems as if there's some question, even from the Apostle Paul, whether or not Timothy is going to go there or whether he's not. And then especially verse 12, the Apostle Paul tells Apollos, I think you should go to Corinth. You, you know, my translation says, I strongly urged him. Right. And Apollos said no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so a, a, a man can choose to go or not go where he thinks is, is best in his service to the Lord, yeah. uh, doors that have opened for him. 
And yeah. brethren can choose to, you know, churches can choose to support or not support that individual, whether he's in the city in which they are working or whether he's in another city. We see both of those happening. Excellent. How foreign is that or how different is that than the concept that you have today where there's this denominational hierarchy that takes man and says, okay, you're in Pittsburgh. We are moving you to Des Moines, Iowa, because that's where we want to put you. And then we're going to take the guy in Des Moines and we're going to move him over to Akron, Ohio. And it, that, that we don't see that kind of organizational control in the New Testament. I like your example Paul saying, I strongly urged him to come to you in Corinth, and he wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and there's no, I don't there's no indictment. There's no indictment there. Right. No. Right. No. Yeah. And uh, I, I, think, I think those are all excellent points, because we do get a choice on where we want to go. But, I, I, guys, I also don't want us to be ignorant, and I want us to be careful not to be ignorant of the providence of God. Yeah. Um, because I think we would all certainly agree, at least in all the works I've been involved with, which is only two, I strongly believe that was the Lord's will for me. I believe the Lord was was nudging me in that direction. Now, I'm not claiming some type of supernatural um, in vision or dream or God talking to me in any way, but th there were certainly a lot of good signs, godly signs that showed that this is where I can go and work hard and, and be doing good work in the Lord's kingdom. Um, and so I certainly don't want to... Uh, act like God's hand isn't in any of this, um, because that, that's not the case. Right. And, and maybe even while we're in that text, verse 9, the reason why he's going to stay in Ephesus is because a great and effective door has been opened to him. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, and so while we mentioned in, in the book of Acts that, that God told Paul where to go or where not to go, we actually only have a few examples of that it may very well be that on a number of other situations, he simply was able to choose whether from this place, from Thessalonica, do I go to Berea or do I go somewhere else? You know, sometimes he's directed, sometimes we're just not told. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things that we need to do today is look at the evidence around us. Is there an opportunity? Is there doors opened? You know, should I go somewhere else? Should I stay here? Those aren't easy decisions, but but no no institution, no man-made institution has the biblical authority to make that determination for others. We really do see Paul kind of responding to the the events on the ground. You know, what, what opportunities do yes. I have? In in Romans chapter 15, verse 22, uh, he's writing to the church at Rome while he's in Corinth. And he says, wherefore also I was hindered these many times from coming to you. I wanted to come to you, but I was hindered. But now having no more any place in these regions, he's, he's in Corinth, in Achaia, and apparently he feels like his work is done there. And having these many years a longing to come unto you, whensoever I go into Spain, for I hope to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way there by you, if first in some measure I shall have been satisfied with your company. But now I go into Jerusalem ministering under the saints, serving in the service here that he's performing, he's taking money to them. But the point I'm, I'm getting at is he, he just describes where he's been going and where he wants to go in such a way that it's like, it kind of depends on how things work out. Mm -hmm. uh, and not, and again, to your point, Chase, not to deny that the Lord has, has something to do with how things work out. The Lord is in charge here, but we don't get a little voice. Uh, even Paul didn't always get a little voice saying, do this or do that. 
And Acts 15, when uh, Paul and Barnabas are wanting to go on a journey to visit the churches that they had been with in chapters 13 and 14, they had a disagreement about who should go with them, and they ended up going in different directions. That really shows a lot of free will in, mm -hmm. uh, in what's being done there. All right. The, the other thing I'll point out that we've talked about, but just get more specific with it. What we do see is Paul kind of moving chess pieces. Um, we, we see him seeing the need in Ephesus and encouraging Timothy to go there, Titus to Crete. Um, I think even about Apollos going on into Corinth with the letters there in Acts 18. And I do think that that's a healthy way for evangelists to learn where they need to go as well is by talking to older other brethren who are aware of needs in other places, because yep. That's I'm sure where a lot of how you all ended up where you are. That's how I ended up where I'm at is I went to a man named Gary Fisher, said, Gary, I think I want to work in the Northeast. Scott Smelser went to Gary and said, who's ready to come to the Northeast? And it worked out great. Um, and they were able to kind of get me up here and it, it's been great. But I, all of that is still a choice that's being had um, and not so much a, an official ordination of any kind, um, yeah. if that makes sense. Jeff had earlier used the idea of professionalism, and, and that's just something that is absent in the scriptures and, and contrary to this biblical concept of minister-servant. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, some notes here that I had jotted down we might talk about today. I, I will do this. I will do this. I don't want to make this into more than it is. But in Hebrews chapter six, six, when the writer is urging the people he's writing to to um, not lay again the foundation, to, to move on and grow, he mentions several things that seem to be foundational things, uh, and more specifically things that even as Jews under the old law, they had already been prepared to understand. And he's saying you need to, to move beyond that. Among the things that he mentions that they were already accustomed to under the old law is uh, the laying on of hands. Um, he mentions resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. These were things that devout Jews understood even before they understood Jesus was the Christ. But, but along with that is the idea of laying on of hands. So it seems that the laying on of hands is something that carries over from Old Testament to New Testament. And we certainly see it in Numbers, the 27th chapter, when Moses is, is designating who is going to replace him. He lays hands on Joshua, uh, and that's in Numbers 27. You can read that in verses 15 through 23. We've already mentioned in Acts chapter 13, uh, when the church was sending Paul and Barnabas out on their journey, um, they uh, laid hands on them. We mentioned in uh, Paul's letters to Timothy, he mentions not only his own laying hands on Timothy, apparently to give him the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, the elders, designating Timothy to the work in which they were supporting him. Um, I, I don't know that it has to be literally putting hands on. I, when, I, when, I, when we have appointed elders, we have laid hands on, and I serve as an elder when I was appointed, hands were laid on me. But it's not some kind of spooky thing. It's basically, it's a way of communicating, designating. It's a way of saying we are indicating this individual is taking on this responsibility. And uh, I, I think there's not, it's not a bad thing that we do recognize sometimes when somebody takes on 
a specific responsibility, a role as an evangelist, as a servant of the gospel, uh, that there be some kind of designation. And if it be laying on of hands, that's certainly within the framework of New Testament example. And, and, and maybe even other areas as well. That, that, that's not something that's specific for uh, evangelists or, or ministers in that sense. You have uh, the, the seven men chosen in Acts chapter 6. Uh, they had hands laid upon them, again, right, for the very right, idea. Right. We approve of these men, um, or First uh, Timothy 5, lay hands on no man suddenly, uh, I think, in the context of elders especially. Yes. Um, there. So, uh, any kind of spiritual work, you want to have, hopefully, um, people supporting that. Uh, and, and so that's a, that's a good thing to, to have that fellowship taking place. Okay, guys. Well, we're out of time. I, it, I think it was a good discussion. I hope it was helpful. I hope that our viewer who asked the question found it helpful. We certainly appreciate uh, his question. And it, it gave us, uh, I think, a good topic today. If you have questions you'd like for us to address on this webcast, send us a note. You can send it through BibleQuest.tv, or you can find us online. I'm Jeff Smelser. There's Joe Works and Chase Byers. You can find any of us online with a Google search or Facebook search. Thanks a lot. Hope to see you again next week.